In this episode of Common Sense Amio, we'll be talking to a consultant, author, mom, educator, and serial entrepreneur whose focus is normalization and education. Today's guest, the executive president of the This Is Jane Project, wrote a book to help facilitate healthy conversations with kids and family members about cannabis, something this host wishes was available to his parents back in the day. Ms. Kindness Ramirez, thank you so much for joining me on Common Sense Amia. Welcome. Thank you so much, Will. Thanks for having me. Been been a minute coming. Glad to be here. <laughs> yes, we had a couple reschedules. We shift. We shimmied. We made it work. Here we are. <laughs> Those are the things, you know, that's what happens when you have two kids and two dogs and two cats and a solcata tortoise and a husband. And yes, I said a tortoise. <laughs> Where'd you get that tortoise? Uh, I got that tortoise for my 40th birthday. <laughs> my God. Well, that's I a hope funny your story. great, great grandkids love tortoises because that thing is going to outlive all of you. That's what I tell my kids. I go, well, dad gave me a tortoise for my 40th birthday. So he really gave us all like this, you know, you know, this a is life, yours and uh, your kids. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. A um, real lifelong me, gift. Yeah. Let me ask you something real quick. So my full name is William Prescott Reed. Uh, mm -hmm. And until the age of five, my parents called me William P. Pants Reed. Um, so I understand the pressure of having to live up to a name. And I was curious if you could relate. Is that something, not the peeing in your pants part, but living <laughs> up to your name? Oh, man. Fortunately, I can relate to both. Um, I am a woman <laughs> in her, I'm a woman in her mid 40s. So shout out to the ladies who know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> It's not your but, fault, ladies. It's biology. It's biology. <laughs> it and happens yes. to men, too. It happens to men, too. Give thanks, though. Give thanks for the years and the experience. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's definitely something I can relate to. I I say it's a curse and a blessing. I've In recent <laughs> years, as I've really stepped into my power, stopped saying it's a curse and just really claim the power that it comes with. And, yeah, the calling. I do have to put on most of my media though. Yes, that's my real name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> I mean, because it just, yeah, you understand. So it helps and too. It's all branding. <laughs> the instant judgment without even opening your mouth, a, a person's going to be like, I can't wait to talk to this person or this person's probably a total asshole. <laughs> it's exactly that. It's exactly <laughs> that. And they know, you know, they just don't know what they're going to get. I'm, I'm, I'm a really big personality but it can be different <laughs> depending on the circumstance. And I grew up in a real diverse community, so I can meet people where they are. So you really just don't know. So I do try to be kind though. I got to say, when you have a name like Miss Kindness, nobody's going to forget you. Like that's the thing they're going to no. remember. Like she had this name. So you got to be cool. You got to be cool. You got to, <laughs> you got a lot to live up to. Uh, when did you, I'm sure you stopped resenting your parents. At you, some you point. Got over that. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to say. Maybe like mid twenties. <laughs> you know, I think, yeah, middle school. I don't think any of my teachers knew my name was actually Ms. Kindness. They all called me K. It was like that first day of role. You're like, it's K, it's K, it's K. And right, right. Like, Let me get part of this. <laughs> <laughs> and listen. I'm clearly reminding everyone my age here because they were writing on the attendance. And so they would cross out my name and put K and that's all they called me. It was probably high school ASB stepping into like those running for office roles, claiming that that's, you know, what that power brings. And so, yeah, I would say high school before twenties, I was ready. When, by the time you knew me as an adult. They were ready. 
Yeah, everyone knew me as Miss Kindness. There you go. I kind of want, so part of what we do here, not part, most of what we do here is talk about the journey of entrepreneurs, um, how they get from beginning to the middle. We're not talking to anybody at the end. That'd be a right. weird podcast. So we're we're all in the, we're all in the middle of this uh crazy thing called oh, life and that a lot podcast of us... would be really really popular and cool. Yeah, yeah. Like like you know, Bill Gates 10, you know, 10. I don't want to put I'm not putting anything on Bill Gates, but I'm, you know, entrepreneurs in their deathbed being like, "Let me tell you, Will. It was a hard journey." No, I I I, it's hard enough carrying conversations for people who are alive than it is. I can't even imagine. Like I can't talk the whole time. You know, I have to, there's gotta be a, a give and take. So yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe that'll be the next one. We'll do like the, you know, the, the follow-up to this 30 years from now will be like Miss Kindness oh. <laughs> in the nursing home, crushing it. <laughs> I'm setting a tickler. Let me set a tickler right yeah, now. Yeah. 30 years. <laughs> uh, so the beginning of your journey starts at a juice bar. And I'm I'm kind of interested in that. Take me from, uh, you know, you're actually a little outside of the norm of the of the uh, entrepreneur's story that we have here, and and really because of your education. So almost none of the people I talk to, you know, have a master's degree, uh, you know, at all. Never mind in business, education, whatever. How did you know? Like, how, t- take me from master's in it excuse me, education and, and, and teaching to kale. <laughs> oh, can a mom get a light for this one? No. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> Listen, um, you know, I, I say this in some, in some instances, actually, I say it a lot. I was, I've been a teacher for so many lifetimes, all my life, all the lives I've been a teacher. And yeah. this one, yeah, it became my job, but it became my job in my late twenties. I, I started teaching preschool um, after working at Nordstrom. My first job was at Nordstrom when I was 16. I think like entering into excellent employers, like set a tone for my expectations for leadership anywhere I worked. And that made it difficult to work for anyone else um, for a long time. And so finally, um, after a long career, I will say seven years in my 20s doing large scale fundraising, I finally finished graduate school. I had just been going to school as an adult that whole time. Backstory, mom had brain tumors, had to move out really early, put myself through college and grad school while working. So at 27, mom is alive and healthy because of cannabis today. But let's go moms. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, I put myself through college. And by the time I was done with grad school, that was when I was like, oh, I can finally be a credentialed teacher. And so started teaching around 27 full time, had been subbing before that and doing the other things around education. And then soon after my husband and I opened the juice bar, I had a slip and fall with baby number two in my belly, which caused a condition um, in my pelvis that's called SPD basically was in severe pain, risk of premature labor. And it was at that point that I chose cannabis as the alternative to the opioids they were offering me for pain relief. And um, yeah, that's where that journey began. So we closed the juice bar. We sold everything because I was like, I'm going to buy a pound of weed. What was that timeline between kind of opening the doors and slip and fall and then 
slip and fall was March 29th, 2012. And um, baby was born a little early. They were like raised in the juice bar, kind of. And the juice bar was around for a while. Yeah, the juice bar was around. Raw Pops um, was our popsicle brand. And then it evolved into juices. And then we opened a brick and mortar. And then we had the babies. And yes, and then I had the um, the epiphany to leave teaching, sell everything, and start Club Kindness. Because I wanted to teach other people what I had learned. You're taking me here a little earlier than I know would like to. But <laughs> I, okay. I'm one of the things that fascinates yeah one of the thing that fascinates me and it happens to all entrepreneurs and it you know it can happen multiple times um, but it definitely happens which is a moment of clarity um, prior to jumping in feet first right so Mm -hmm. i'm curious kind of about that so so i assume that the juice bar was sustainable it was you know it made you money it took care of your family you and your husband and your kids were there um living living that life so it was sustainable um and it obviously started as a dream right like there was Mm -hmm. something there that that made you fall in love with that right (laughs) whatever whatever that was like there's something there that was like juice (laughs) yeah so I'm, i'm curious about um the couple of weeks leading up to the fall and the couple of weeks following that fall. And, and like, what was that moment of clarity when you're like, no more juice. (laughs) Um, One, what made (laughs) us start raw pops was my love for my husband. It was his idea. Um, puro Mexicano. And he is like, paleta, paleta, paleta. Let's make fresh popsicles for our babies. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. And I am all business. So I was like, well, if we're going to do that, let's turn it into a business. And that's what happened. And that made that venture, yes, very successful, was sustainable. Um, leading up yeah. to the fall, we were doing the things that we always do, shopping for a lot of produce. And we were in the produce section when I fell. And um, we only had one kid at the time. And um, that started this interfacing with social services, the system, nurses and doctors over my choices to consume cannabis. Mm. And that awakened something in me that has always been there. This activist, this mother, this teacher, this advocate, this woman who is not afraid to use her voice by way of her ancestors power and Mm -hmm. her. And I have like the best family in the world, so I can do anything I want. And um, I just saw how I was treated and we can talk about that as much as you want, but I was quickly shown. Well, I was just quickly shown how the system treats certain women, right? Women of color, um, women who are on Medi-Cal or Medicaid, Medicare, these tickers in the system that make them, break rules like testing women without their consent, which is against the law, um, based on a belief that they can then deem probable cause. And me having the privilege and the family support that I talked about to uh, be able to question that quickly, as in hire an attorney, find out how that's legal and shut it down immediately. And then that same privilege and knowledge and 
fire just made me begin to think about all the women who don't have that, who can't protect themselves, whose children are taken away from them for a stupid, stupid thing um, or belief, I should say, a stupid belief about an amazing plant mm-hmm. and how far we had to go. And I just, you know, I don't know. I think I was kind of, I say that the moment that I decided we were going to leave juice and enter cannabis was, um, I was teaching high school and, and I had a near panic attack because of the bells ringing. And I think it was a culmination of things. It was like me realizing like how much I had done to heal my body, how the system was so unjust and having freedom and it just wouldn't leave me. And so that was producing anxiety and the bells ringing every, you know, 55 minutes. I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, I'm not going back. This is my last year. Let me ask you, and if this is not my business, shut me down. But what what's the logistics of Child Protective Services getting involved in a slip and fall case? Well, it wasn't the slip and fall. It was the me testing positive for cannabis during pregnancy. Because you went to the ER or something? and We don't know why they tested me. Huh. That's the thing. Hmm. <laughs> but there it wasn't no... like your primary care physician. This was just some, you know, or or your OBGYN or something like that. No, in fact, my OBGYN is amazing. And he's in fact the reason why um things went so well at the end, because he gave me tips saying, you know, mm-hmm. listen, you tested positive. So at this point, you are now from this injury at risk of premature birth. So if you deliver prematurely, you will be tested again. So just mm-hmm. keep it clean between now and then. I have no issues with your choice to consume cannabis. I understand, but these are things that I can't put in your file for this reason. And I want you to protect yourself. I mean, this is what doctors have to do who are progressive within this system. And so, no, it was somebody who decided to check a box. Hmm. And it's we may because, never know who that person is. <laughs> right. And and your feeling was that there's a, a, a an entirely different standard of standards uh, between women and women who look like you. Absolutely. And this is more than my feeling. These are, this is a fact based on all kinds of statistical data that supports that women who are on Medicaid, Medicare, um, women of color, under uh, low income women are checked for drug use without their consent at um, an exponential rate higher than their white peers or those with higher income. I mean, it's just a fact. And it's just a part of this system that we're all in that comes from our, you know, founding fathers choices and intentions. So here we are now. And if it's not for, Oh, excuse me. Okay. You want to, I don't know if you want to clap again. She's so good. She's been sitting here the whole time, but when she, you know, okay, I can say this. Listen, if it's not for, um, you know, special people within the system willing to help push it along and fight it it's just it's just unreal it's unreal what happens and i had an awareness of that i've always been an advocate i've always been the student who stood up i've always been running for office you know growing up in grade school like that's who i am my my masters is in education with an emphasis in social justice so even the teacher i chose to teach in a low income school district as opposed to the one i grew up and went to school in which would have been a much easier cushy job probably but not mm-hmm. as rewarding. Um, so it was kind of, 
it was easy for me. But that year, the bell started to make me so crazy. I had a panic attack in the spring. Well, what do you think? What do you think was going on there? I had a lot of internal conflict there, too, with the fact that, you know, I was within the system watching how students were being treated in a district that was less than 10 miles from where I grew up with a lot less property tax money and how we voted internally to spend those dollars. And I just always felt stifled. I felt stifled. We're definitely surrounded by we're definitely surrounded and, and kind of definitely deep in systems wherever we go. And it sounds like, you know, this experience with your with your slip and fall gave you some system related PTSD, right? And like mm-hmm. whether you're in the, the, the medical system or the, you know, school system or what, whatever kind of bureaucratic uh, mouse wheel you find yourself on. I, I mean, those, just think I'm, I'm having anxiety just thinking about those bells <laughs> myself. And it's been like, 30 years for me since I've heard them. You know what I mean? You want to know something? Will? I just put up a post about this because oftentimes people ask me, you know, if they get to know me later on social media, they don't know my backstory. So sometimes we do those reminder posts. And I was just talking about this. And I said on Twitter, you know, the bells, like what, why do we still have bells in school? Last I checked, like these kids have smartphones. They know what time it is. There's still clocks on the walls. And all these parents were like, yeah, my son, the anxiety, like I remember the, it was, it causes, the bells cause trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Pa- it's Pavlov's dogs. We were being trained. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's Pavlov's dogs pushing us out into the world, letting us know when your lunch hour is, when, uh, you know, your 15 minutes for recess or cigarette smoking break or whatever it is. When to get in line. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's very interesting. All right, let, let's pull let's pull it back to to the journey. And it sounds like, you know, this is part of it, though. Those bells were driving you almost literally insane. Right. So you're teaching class, these friggin bells. You're going to the juice bar. What's the conversation with your husband like? He's um, just trying to make popsicles. I mean, we're legit arguing all the time at this point. You know, this is this is nothing is good because everything is is wrong, right? Everything is not what it should be. We we should have been what we're doing, what we're doing now. Now, that is to say, timing is everything. You know, you need chemistry, you need timing, you need access, you need opportunity, and you need money. So, especially when it comes to a business. Um, but it was rough. These we had two toddlers. Um I won't even say she was a toddler yet, barely walking. So 15 month old and our son at the time, three and a half, right? They're two years apart and um, struggling. You know, he's also a massage therapist. So he has this other business that he's doing massage, going to the juice bar, managing our employees at the juice bar, picking up produce at 5 a.m. And I'm like getting the orders out, you know, before I go teach from seven to three and then get off work, go to the juice bar, relieve. I mean, it's just chaos. And um, I'm in pain most of the time. So I'm actively consuming cannabis at this point, taking tinctures, doing things to control my hip pain. And um, it's working. It's healing me. And I'm doing more and more research and I'm attending more and more cannabis events and I'm meeting more and more people in the space. And um, it just started pulling, pulling, pulling me and us, frankly. So the, you like the calling happened, the calling Absolutely. to cannabis. <laughs> I think I heard on a podcast with you, maybe, or I read somewhere. And, and if, 
again, if I'm making this up, I'm sorry. Um, I prepared this a while ago, but you sold the juice bar. So, right. So was Mm -hmm. there, was there a talk of an exit strategy? Was it like we can sell this and maybe recoups, recoup some money or at least not totally lose this. Or was there even conversation of just like, let's just give the landlord the keys and get the F out. There was all that talk and you're yeah. getting an expose here today. Well, because let's go. I, don't, <laughs> I don't really tell this story often. I am, I am a, a peacemaker and a, well, this is the stuff that's important is like, there's a whole human toll to starting a company, right? Listen, <laughs> when we not everybody hears the bullshittery that, that people like us go through to, to get make it to up. these places. Yeah. 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 And push through. And then the stuff, listen, You there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of people yeah. who try to do bad things to you. And that's that's where this story kind of kind of goes. And it we we allowed some young, young people, um, a young couple, much younger than us in age, who had a new baby come in who wanted to start a coffee shop in our juice bar. And we thought, oh, that's going to relieve us of the stress that we are feeling. So that will be good. Then Aaron can, you know, focus more on massage and then support me with the kids while I'm teaching. And we can have these kids in the juice bar um, while they can run the morning shift. And, you know, we'll leave juice and they can pour. Thought it was going to be terrific. Slowly, they started to take over the space with a whole different culture than we had built in, in the space. And this is... To go back, we built this juice bar with our bare hands. My husband and my now deceased brother-in-law literally dug under the ground to replace the piping. Talk about tenant improvements. Don't ever put this much money into a building you do not own. There's some business advice. We put a bunch of movement into this uh, money into this TI. With our hands, we built this. I picked the millworks for the bar, designed it, the colors, everything. So this was like a second home to us. And again, our babies like grew up in this juice bar, like in the crit, like in the little thing right there in the juice bar. Um, <laughs> and so quickly they took over. Um, smart, young with tech, quicker than we were. We were in the middle of other chaos and transitions and got a huge calling to that place and um, disrupted the peace. And so we wanted to get out of there. And we approached the landlord about selling. She knew the upgrades we had put in. She was being, as landlords are, uh, greedy and, or can be, not all of them. And um, they illegally filed some permits with the county health department claiming that they had take, that we had transferred the health permits to them. We had a dear friend who was unfortunately murdered in those terrorist acts at the San Bernardino County. This is a crazy story, my life, yes. And um, he called, Shannon is his name. Rest in yeah. peace. He called and he said, I know this is not you guys. I just saw you guys. I love you. What the hell? Who are these kids filing for coffee on your spot saying you transferred it to them? So just a moment of grace, good fortune. Nobody forgets Ms. Kindness. Um, we were able to resolve that. Ultimately, they didn't want to purchase it. So we pieced out every single piece of our kitchen. We ripped apart the beautiful millwork to to be able to sell it um, to some other business owner. We got maybe a fraction of what we had invested. We didn't take a total loss because we weren't in the black already. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it was rough. And the spot is now those same kids. They took it over. They put something else back up and um, they're 
they're thriving and we're happy for them. <laughs> Mazel tov. That's rough. I mean, I would say, despite the specifics of your story, which are insane, all of them, <laughs> um, these things generally end in heartbreak. Generally, they do. And that's my husband's good luck. His family, his, his three sisters told me when I married him that they, one, couldn't believe it. He had totally married up. Um, but that's <laughs> his luck. They were like, our dad and, and I our brother. I that, by the way. Oh, yeah. See, yeah, I married a, way up. <laughs> I love that. Um, see, you heard that, Mrs. Reed. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, they say that. They said that, you know, our dad and our brother are just so freaking lucky. And I got to say, like, my husband, he just like wins. He just wins all the time. Wins. So we are like taking some of that karma. Then. Yeah, for sure. You both did all right. <laughs> so as you're maybe, and I'm projecting, I, I'm projecting myself onto this. As you're begrudgingly, angrily boxing up all mm -hmm. of your kitchen and selling it off with spite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In pieces. And that yeah. is definitely what I was at the time. I am to totally, of course, totally healed now. Yeah, yes. yeah, of course. But, it, <laughs> but like, you know, like we're saying, like these things, you know, pe uh, oh, there we go. There you go. Uh, you know, people, the, the PR of these things is that there was an exit strategy, you know, you know, investor stock, stock shares go, went through the roof. People got a no. nice pit buyout, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but that almost never, ever happens ever. And what usually happens is life happens. And sometimes the thing that you thought was the dream ends up just being the chapter that you got to put the period on in order to start writing the next one. So I'm curious for you, like, you know, you're in there tensions, I'm sure are high, you know, like mm -hmm. you and your husband and, and they're and still working there. They're still there. Like we're going yeah. through this trend right, right, right. toward the yeah, end. They're yeah. there. You're like, yeah. probably like, oh, I strangle you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so talk to me about kind of the ideation of club kindness and um, club uh, kind, uh, kind casa and, and those yeah. things like, oh, were those kind of, yeah. yeah, were those things kind of birthed like in that transition? Did you know that they were coming before you went through the, the tragedy of the juice bar? Like, talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, really, really great question, Will, because it's really making me think about this um, for the first time in a long time. And I appreciate that. I really do. Um, I it was an ideation while we were transitioning it. My body always tells me when it's time to change. I am yeah. not afraid of change. It's not something I possess. I've never been afraid of change from as early as I can remember. I embrace it. I actually kind of enjoy it. And it's sometimes a problem because I can switch. I can just like do a job for five years, be really good at it. And next, and that's not always healthy for long-term growth. So I did spend some time on this one, deciding the right exit strategy because it was bad. I didn't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> and um, we had two kids. We had two children, a lot more yeah. to lose than I had ever had. And right. now we're teaching other people how to be good humans. 
So over time, there was me healing my body, me doing the research, me going to these meetings and Aaron, you know, running the juice bar when we decided to let it go, then set finally like, like closing day when the lights went out and then going back to sell out pieces, you know, over a month and a half, six week period, saying goodbye. And rough. it was rough. It was rough. The, the, the smartest thing we did was, you know, auction off the way we did, like not just be defeated. I was like, oh yeah. no, we're going to find buyers for this and we're going to take our time and we're going to negotiate. And so that was a, that was a longer process and more arduous because of that, but it's what sustained us financially. It's, it was the smart thing to do. Yeah. Diversified. And then, yeah. Yeah. And I spent um, <laughs> $1,500 on my first pounds <laughs> and uh, made a tincture. I made the same tincture that I had created earlier on to heal my body. And that's what got me walking again. And, and you, you might've heard this story that I was sitting in front of the computer and I drank this hot tea and I looked up and I went, woo, like that's what an edible high feels like. Yeah, and yeah. I was, I was in love. It hits on, on different. So levels. It hits different, right? It does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It definitely does. We've been, uh, so as you know, but, maybe the people listening don't know my agency can of planners were located in Vermont, which uh, <clears throat> legalized adult use like four years ago, but <clears throat> the market just opened four weeks ago and mm -hmm. we've been. Congratulations so by the way. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It's pretty awesome. Um, we have been so like, we're a national agency. We work with people all over the country, but we have been inundated with Vermonters um, who if you don't know what a Vermonter sounds like, it's 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 like if you combine a Canadian accent with a Boston accent and literally it's, you know, kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like that. And, you know, they'll call you up and be like, yeah, bud, can I get uh, 20 skews and my brand done uh, in a week? And we're like, no, but no, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> no, not. Not quite. bud. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love that that idea of like, um pivoting, like recognizing I got to get through what I got to get through, mm -hmm. but I know at the end of this, there's something else and it, hopefully it's better. It could be worse, but hopefully it's better. And I know if I, you know, dedicate this time to it, it's going to, we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, I, I mentioned my that. family. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a part of success. It's not just dollars. I, my, I attribute that to my family. You know, my dad, ex-officer, Marine, Vietnam vet, Mad Dog. I reference him quite a bit. I am very much like him. Is that his nickname? That's his nickname, but I don't think people know his real name. Like, it's his name for life. It's It's been his name since he came back yeah. from Vietnam. So most people know him as Mad Dog. Um, if I say Gene, which I just did, he'll and he'll hear this and be like, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> so, you just outed your dad? <laughs> yeah, but he's got a Man, real name. Yo, um, if his if his nickname <laughs> is Mad Dog, he can't be called Gene. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. That's a um, different name altogether. <laughs> so funny. But he's really like didactic. And you say I Mad Dog, and I have a picture in my brain. And then you say Gene, and it's not that at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would argue that they are probably his two alter egos, though. I mean, because at the end of his career, he worked in school. Gene's security. the name of my accountant. <laughs> That's so true. That's hilarious. That's so true. Um, 
So Anyways, talk to yeah, me I about just... talk, talk to me about creating that the the CPG line. So you made this huge gamble, right? You took fifteen hundred bucks that you didn't have because you're selling off the body parts of your you know dead dead beloved business, like bit by bit. You're like, oh god, here's my, please just buy my. I, I wanted to take the freaking copper pipes out of the ground, but my I husband don't blame wouldn't you, let me. Especially <laughs> since you installed them there, yes. I don't blame you. My um, husband wouldn't let me, but yeah, so we, we, we get the flowers and we infuse the alcohol. This is back in the day, y'all. I'm talking about alcohol tinctures, not yeah, the delicious yeah, yeah. ones we have now. And um, I make Which this- Which aren't ma- tinctures. They all have oil and they're all oil-based. They, you know, they call them tinctures, but- We call them tinctures, right? Give me Thank that, you for that. Give me that, <laughs> that uh, what is it? Jeez, uh, oh, what is it? Um, what's the alcohol that you use? Everclear. Uh, Everclear. Yeah. Well, I actually imported my alcohol from Mexico. It was, um, you know, like 150 proof, 175 proof. It was, it was, I was serious about this. Like I was really, I had been doing this research during the transition. And Mm -hmm. so, um, launched elixirs by kindness. And our first spritz was that twist spray looks like perfume, um, sprayed a couple of sprays under the tongue, burn like hell but worked in like eight minutes and people really felt the relief i started doing these in-home parties and this was a cbd product or a thc product it was thc this was in 2015 yeah and we can not we can do a nod and a wink if you want um (laughs) but so did you go through the licensing process so in 2014 215 was in place club kindness was a nonprofit organization we functioned as a membership as everybody else did Um, I actually kept records of every single member I had to this day. I still have those paper records. I, um, I was a math teacher. I'm still a math teacher. I teach college now. So it, 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 I'm legit about like my records. And so I definitely, and I'm a, I'm the, I'm the daughter of an officer. So when I called my dad and said like, I'm going to do this, he was like, just do it as legit as you can. Like, I know what's going on out there. Don't mess around with mad dog. Don't mess around with Mad Dog. Do what and he says. Seriously, I was like, look, if I go to jail, like you're the first person I'm going to call. So this is what I'm oh, doing. And yeah, um, yeah no, I, I definitely was under 215 in California at the time and, and moved in that way. And then Club Kindness was the in-home parties. And we did the education. We did this 20-step process. It was very engaging, like a classroom. And it was yeah. grandma and auntie and then the friends. And some of them were larger parties. And we would do infused foods. And everybody had to get a rec. And we facilitated recommendations for doctors. And this went on from 2014 to 2017. And then here comes Prop 64. Yeah. And what did that do for you? Um, Made me decide that, well, at that point, I have established credibility. I've been in the space. Um, I'm speaking now, you know, groups are asking me for, to educate them. We're moving into legalization. So I'm going to all of the meetings that the, uh, that the Department of Cannabis Regulation is asking for input on. I'm at our cities are looking at legalization. So I'm back in that political mind, getting involved. Now, my, my, now again, I'm on the op- exact opposite side of the country as you are but my recollection of prop 64 is that it was not good for small business it was not good for consumers because of the uh the tax hikes absolutely um, yeah in the beginning obviously, it was... yeah go ahead sorry no 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 in the beginning it was it was trash i mean we've had to have a bunch of lawsuits since then and modifications and you know sb34 for compassionate care and right. all that came after um but yeah definitely in the beginning uh, uh, there was a lot of 
misunderstanding people who were just like, yeah, we want legal weed legal. So yes, yes. We don't care what it actually right. says inside the bill, which is typical of most Americans. Well, what was the thing inside <laughs> the bill that was most detrimental to the way you were running your company? Um, for me, um, it wasn't detrimental to me the way I was running my company. It was in that, like the barriers to entry. I mean, it was just crazy totally. expensive. So yeah. there wasn't any talk of social equity at that point. And that right. came and that, from that's, that's another thing I recall is that, you know, and I, I'm, I'm pulling these figures out of, out of thin air and it, it's based on a recollect. I don't know that that law passed years and years ago, but it yes, was like, yes. you had to be a million dollars liquid. Um, yeah, at least who the that hell was, can do that? A, you know, who the hell? Not can a do lot that? of people, a small percentage no. of the population. Um, tiny, and you could pull percentage. it together. You know, I, I definitely could have. I I could have gone and raised that among friends and family. But keep in mind, I had just invested over 100 grand in a juice bar, you know, four or five years before that. And yeah, it wasn't going back to those same people. Hey, can I get like 30, 40, 50 grand from you for, you know, a weed dispensary? And yeah, in hindsight, that's, that's an interesting thing, this kindness, because that's 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 also a little outside of the norm. Generally, like when I'm talking to people who have raised funds for multiple businesses that have failed, the failing business is act, is, is generally for them. And I can see why you would be self-conscious about it. Like I would be, too. Like, you know, like I I failed. I, you know, I lost money on this. I didn't, I wasn't able to uh, pay back my shareholders or, or investors or whatever. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I can get how that would like set your confidence back a little bit. But for most people, it's generally a badge of honor to be like, I ran the shit out of this business. I ran it into the ground, but you can <laughs> see that <laughs> you can see that I have a certain business ethic or a work ethic or whatever. Like I know what I'm doing. It's just, I haven't found the right thing that hits yet. Absolutely. And I will say that my family, no question that that is their idea. I am the one that they call for all business acumen. Um, mm. And that has always been, even after the juice bar, they were so proud of the way we transitioned. They were like, only you could like sell everything and make it into like a party going out. Um, because, you know, maybe it comes with a name, but I wasn't prepared to enter a market that was so volatile. I was in almost every meeting that they had from here to Central California leading into figuring out regulation. I was at everyone. So I was watching the conversations change. I was watching legislators not listen. I was in city council meetings. So I wasn't prepared to say, okay, fam, you know, let's let's get a half a million together and do this. Um, and I didn't really think I wanted to because at that point, which is, you know, what I was saying, I, I had established credibility as an educator <clears throat> in the space. At this point, I'm Ms. Kindness, the teacher. People are calling me to talk to their neighborhood councils to convince them that cannabis is a good thing to go into licensing. You know, that's how I got my job teaching college. I'm teaching town halls about cannabis and the body on college campuses. And so at that point, it felt better. I was like, back in my space, there were no bells. I was my own boss and I could like literally consume weed whenever as much as I wanted. And <laughs> I had access to all these people in the space at this point. We're like a couple years in the game now. I just pivoted to CBD. I turned all my products into CBD. Never skipped a beat and didn't lose any money to be frank. I made more. Yeah, well, you've just you, you've opened up a whole new vertical that you can put in the shops you're already in, plus all the other non cannabis shops, all the 
co-ops and and convenience stores or whatever you know demographic you're going for like yeah that makes total sense when uh that was kind of what i anticipated the opposite thing happening here in vermont when i first started canna planners before we had a larger national reach you know we just focused on vermont hemp farmers who were a little bit ahead of the curve you know a few years prior to like the farm bill so Mm -hmm. um a couple states were a little bit ahead of the farm bill Um, vermont was one of them so we were able to build out these cbd cpg brands um and my thought then was like okay you know when rec happens all these same clients are just going to flip a switch and and you know do what you did but vice versa Mm -hmm. um but actually it 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 wasn't, it didn't exactly go that way. I thought it would be a majority of them. And it was a majority of people. I didn't know call, you know, from the state calling up and being it like, Hey, feel good. It doesn't feel necessary. You know, it's like, I get all the benefits, all the benefits of the industry without yeah. half of the headache. Now, how do you mean? Some might argue that, Oh, I'm not going to make the money that these MSOs could make and that the millions and whatever, I'm, I wasn't ever thinking of a trajectory of being an MSO. So when I say that I get all the benefits, I get access to the culture. Um, I get to respect as a leader in the space. I get to advocate. I get to be an activist. I get to organize with my peers. I get to build businesses that give back and reinvest. I get to consume the plant whenever I want, however I want. (laughs) I get free stuff all the time. I make money from selling CBD and I get to teach people how to heal their bodies. I mean, winning yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're not saying this, but I'm going to I'm going to point out a, what I'm hearing from you, which is another very important trait in entrepreneurial. I love this but about you in yes. entrepreneurs, Already. which is like I I'm trying and, and th- this I totally relate to. And I would I would almost say almost all of those same things if someone were talking to me about can of planners. Right. And and really what it boils down to is like I'm creating a life for myself in, you know, I'm creating a, I'm world building and creating the place where I feel most comfortable. Um, and yeah, I can go over there and, and mess in that sandbox. And yeah, I know that's over there and I can play with that, but I'm here. I'm safe. I can smoke weed in the alley if I want to, I can, you know, <laughs> take my whole team out to lunch. I can tell them, you know, we're not working like these three days and we're going to work on team, you know, whatever. Yes. Like it's my, it's my call. And that's, that's such a huge thing to kind of recognize within oneself is like if you're over to stay in your own lane well there's that (laughs) but there's also recognizing if you're a shitty employee oh (laughs) like that was so that was my journey to there it was like oh i'm being a really bad employee (laughs) you know whatever fill in the blank like i'm recognizing this is happening and like i don't think my boss is as smart as I did when I first started working here. And I don't think my clients know what the fuck they're talking about and like all this stuff. And it's like, Oh, like this is not the job for me. Yeah. 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 And in fact, if you're self-aware enough, you'll realize that there is no job for you, right? Like you have to be the job. You have to be the world builder. Um, So like, that's what I'm hearing in you. That's what I'm hearing in you. I love that. I appreciate Um, that so much because (laughs) It is truly, it's, it's right. I mean, I'm such a good employee. I'm a bad employee. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel I'm the just, same way. Yeah. By <laughs> myself. That. I'm sure yes. that you are the same. <laughs> uh, I'm so good. I'm bad. I'm like, the idea of just like clocking in, um, like. Making my hands sweat. 
Yeah. yeah like, yeah, it was so gross. Like, you know, what's ugh. funny is like, I was always late teaching, like always like you're like, you're not supposed to be late. You're the teacher. Like and late to class. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. so when I taught high school, I taught right next door to my <laughs> shout out to Shannon. Shannon you were smoking Leon. cigarettes and the girls. Yeah. <laughs> but when oh, I was yeah. teaching, like shout out again, shout out to Shannon Leon, because she had in a door that was adjacent, you know, like those hotel rooms where you have a door that you can go through. And so mm-hmm. she would open my door for me and let my students in because I was going to be running after the bell. Like, and you get in trouble, you know, you can't have your students outside. If you're on contract, you got to be there. Yeah. And so I was lucky that Shannon would let my kids in probably two to three days a week. I was always late for first period. Always. Well, you probably shouldn't have you know, you realize, I mean, and you realize this eventually, but you didn't, you didn't belong there. Right. I, didn't. There, I was trying to get there after the bells. Yeah. And well, <laughs> there, you go. there you go. They're going to get you. They're going to get you. Edgar Allan Poe. He wrote about it. Bells. Those damn bells. Um, talk to me about some of the strategies that were different that you found in running a nonprofit and then moving into a for-profit. Yeah. I mean, certainly, I had to think more about sales strategy, even though it's the same in hindsight, now that I am the board president of This Is Jane Project, I am constantly like advocating for more marketing in this way and brand strategy and our ED, it drives her a little crazy because as an executive director in that mindset, you're much more on the program side. You're like, this is a service we want to offer. We're trying to help and heal. And here's, here's what we need to do. And they need this. And on the fundraising side or the business side, right? The for-profit, you're like, well, you need money to do all that. And so you got to make money. And how do you make money? It is through these same marketing strategies. So over time, I've obviously gotten wiser. And that's from lived experience. And I love tech. So anything that's new, I'm like, what's this? But it's just a mindset. It's the shifting from the service provider to the entrepreneur, the true like for-profit. And, you know, every single thing you do is directly tied to that return on that investment. And that- yeah, there's still is, a mission. Mm-hmm, there's still a mission. And all yeah, the companies I how have- how you act on it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right, I want to get into some of the nerdy stuff real yes, quick. That's- um, so I want to talk about content specifically. Um, Club Kindness operates mostly online with courses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now we are uh, that. Absolutely. You definitely are that. Um, how do you think about content creation and what outlets have you found that have the most impact for you as a business owner? And what platforms do you think need some work? So let's mm. let's start at the beginning. How are you creating all this content? So another transition or pivot happened during COVID, during the mm. pandemic. And I was doing a ton of in-person public speaking prior to that and finding my niche in the space as this educator, thought leader, um, you know, thinking about TED talking. And then the pandemic hit. And so I quickly got asked to be behind a screen like this and found that I could be just as effective with a lot of the community groups that I was speaking to. And I would be getting these messages in the chat and these text messages or DMs after saying, oh my God, it was like, I could feel you. Like, thank you so much. I needed that. And I'm just looking into this little hole, believing that you're feeling everything I'm giving you. Yeah. And I, I feel really that like right it. now, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I did that for you. <laughs> and I really like it, Will, as you yeah. can probably tell. Like, this is, 
Yeah, this is, I was born to do this and it just feels so good to me. And if it uplifts others, like that's all I was meant to be here for. And so I called a friend, uh, shout out to Bobby Torres, who is my best friend's brother, a world videographer and photographer. I just said, Bobby, I need you to come and like help me put my stuff on like steroids. I need to look better. Actually, the camera that went out, it's my fault. I forgot to plug in the battery and Bobby would say, duh. Um, <laughs> that's why we had to switch in the middle. But yeah, like I just wanted him to help me take like my shows to the next level. We started doing like web series, Token Tuesdays. And I started thinking about how I had this unique position as a master's degree, educator, mother, wife, who is respected, who's also like a hardcore stoner. And let me show you what that looks like in every single way. And it just snowballed into what is now the new and improved club kindness with these online courses and prodigy class and representative media. Obviously George Floyd changed everybody. Um, I already was black. I already felt all those things, but when the <laughs> whole world starts to feel it, yeah. It amplifies it in all of us. And um, same calling, just in digital media, back out talking and doing public speaking again, be all over the place next week. I'll see you in Vegas. But um, it just was necessary for me to be a part of this new revolution of showing people who we are. You know, I am a black yeah. woman with dreadlocks who speaks very well. I'm highly educated, but I also could get down and I'm half hood. So don't mess with me. Like this is reality. I'm raising yeah. biracial children. They with exist. A husband. <laughs> Listen, we're real people yeah. and I'm super fun to hang out with. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question, but it was. It no, was, totally. Yeah, <laughs> it, it totally. I mean, I, you know, there is a passion for it. There obviously is a talent for it. It's just the turning the passion and talent into accessible um, content that you can monetize in some way. You know, those things are not necessarily um, mutually exclusive. Right. So, you know, and you they don't this, always happen together. And they don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They don't always happen together. But luckily, you knew at least you had this network where you could ask the question of like, Hey, if I did this, like, how would it work? Like, how could I turn this into something sustainable? So talk me through that a little bit mm -hmm. and the platform side of it. Like, you know, cannabis is, <laughs> it's not easy creating content and you're talking to a professional con. I mean, two <laughs> yeah, professional like, content. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like all we do is make content all day long. Um, not all the platforms want to play with us, mm -mm, you know, like the, mm -mm. Instagram be kicking us off and meta who knows what, you know, same thing. And YouTube, it, it same thing in some instances. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like, you know, for us, we don't really mess around with social con like we make obviously lots of content for ourselves, but we're not investing into social media the way, a non-cannabis business would because right. like they're just going to kick us off it. Right. Right. So right. our focus has always been like develop the audience, like work on your own audience, work, build the brand, work on the audience, build the email list, get the traffic up, build meaningful blog posts, like, you know, video content, whatever. So I'm curious, like how you're dealing with that and the, you know, the kind of, uh, incessant nature in which <laughs> platforms don't you know want to kick us off these off these great tools like how do you deal with that um 
You know, I have been very fortunate. I want to say it's luck, but it's not. I have been savvy. I I got kicked off of Club Kindness, um, the original Instagram, maybe six years ago, five years ago. And I mm. just changed the way I wrote words after that. I started to be a little bit more clever in my how I would describe things. Um, you I still took- use hashtags? I still use hashtags, but I I don't say I'll say like lady in the weeds or, um, you know, herbal priestess, all kinds of different things. And my personal Instagram is so diverse. I go from, you know, the children's book, not talking about cannabis at all to (laughs) my uh, teaching at my college to. Uh, my, my husband's heal funny. It's like I, I, you can't really. You're pick all over the place. What my Instagram is about. It's a, it's a woman who's real and she's showing you her life. And a part of her healing journey includes plant medicine, and that's psilocybin as well. And I'll talk about it. I'll allude to it. Um, I'll do things that I find to be just a little more clever. I've been really lucky. I get paid for doing reels. I don't think there are a lot of cannabis contributors that get paid for doing reels because my reels don't scream weed. I just, it's who I am. I also don't like scream weed out in the streets. I am like on my kid's school site council. I have to go up on campus and be professional and mature, but I will have a conversation with someone limping on that campus about CBD or cannabis in a minute, a private one, a respectful one, um, using, you know, correct terminology like molecular synergy as opposed to entourage effect. That kind of stuff. <laughs> it's funny though. I mean, it's exactly it. It's language, you know, like it's it's easy to slip in the vernacular of the culture into, you know, using words like weed or uh whatever, you know, whatever. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Especially hashtags. I mean, I don't think we've used hashtags in a couple of years just because yeah, it's to like, avoid it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, you're just like being like, Hey, look at me. Here I am, right? Here's here's the hashtag leading you to where I am. Like mm-hmm. shut me down. But that's um, primarily Instagram and Facebook. You know, we love LinkedIn, right? Everybody loves LinkedIn because totally. they're super cannabis friendly. And for me as a professional, that's a better space for me because Same. I'm seeking clientele now that will allow Club Kindness to come in and train their retail staff. So we're really moving in a direction of training the dispensary staff to have more patient navigation and understanding so that they can better serve. And then these online classes. And so I think like LinkedIn is where it's at. And we can yeah. even say weed there, right? Yeah. Um, Twitter, but yeah, Twitter has all this LinkedIn extra so stuff cool. that comes with it. I do too, because aren't they owned by Facebook? I don't know. <laughs> I thought they were owned you, by Microsoft. Though. I thought they were owned by by Bill Gates, but that's weird. Now, now are, you're gonna, I mean, I'm going to be I, waiting I, for you to tell me the answer to that question after. after I will. This. I'll text you right after this. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that is interesting because I, I find that's absolutely right, and I'm not. I, it, like I do very well, you know, I do pretty well on, on LinkedIn and I am using hashtags. Um, they're all, you know, business related for sure. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I go and they've hog- actually, uh, I've seen like public statements that LinkedIn is in fact cannabis friendly, that they really? do not discriminate against cannabis. Now, I don't know if that's just bloggers writing about it, but I've actually seen like language coming up in my, you know, that LinkedIn is progressive in that way intentionally. So I don't know, but we love it there. We love it there. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I I do uh, I do appreciate LinkedIn. They they keep it real for us. Um, before we get to the book, I'm curious. How do you find the time, Miss Kindness? You are also 
uh, on the board of the This Is Jane project. Um, talk to us about your role and what you do there. You're doing everything. Every, everything I do, yeah. well, it's all the same stuff. I got to tell you. Um, I stay in my lane. Everything I do is coming from a place of I help develop the curriculum. So for whatever the project is, that's the way my brain works. I can tell you how to take this and turn it into something that's easy to digest. So I do that with every project I partner on. This is Jane Project is like, it's the most freaking free work I've ever done in my life um, because I'm a board member, which means a volunteer that pays um, <laughs> to be <laughs> on the board. And, but it's, it's a mission that, deserves all of the energy from anyone who first hears about it. So um, I'll do my my little, we must say this, right? This is Jane Project. Our work is in spotlighting, shedding light, uplifting the lives and building community for women and non-binary trauma survivors. Women are clearly underserved. NB people aren't even in the statistics. They're so underrepresented. And so this is necessary. We believe in encouraging the use of cannabis or supporting the use of cannabis for healing. But we do a bunch of other stuff for these women and NB people, like arts programming. We're launching a new program for surviving on the outside for formerly incarcerated people. And so I do what I do well over there too. I help design curriculum. I don't overreach. I don't do more than my share. And my brain works in that way. So, you know, my contract says 10 hours a month, but it's just when I have the time. You're like, you're like Liam Neeson. You have a certain set of skills um, yes. and ev everybody wants you. I love it. Well, uh, I'm going to clip that. I'm going to clip that and play it over and over. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. TIJP is just, it's a passion, passion, passion. And Shannon and I sat down about four years ago and talked about doing this and it's evolved. We have an amazing board now, a growing volunteer base. Um, we we raised a lot of money last year, five times what we had raised the year before. And we hope to okay. do that again in 2023. Where do I find the time? I'm going to tell you a little secret. I take a nap almost every single day. Mm, I'm going to take one after this for just 45 minutes. I don't go crazy. God, I envy you. <laughs> you Ugh. have to take a nap. I'll, Even if it's, so yeah. <clears throat> this podcast studio doubles as my wife's office and there are two doors. One goes into my office. The other one goes into the hallway. And occasionally if the lights are off and both doors are closed, I know exactly what's happening in this office, which is <laughs> my wife is laying down on the floor sleeping. <laughs> That's right. That's right. She has found the secret. Yeah. Um, That's the secret. The All right. Fair. It's the key. It's the key. It lets you reset. It can't be more than 45 minutes. Um, 20 to 30 is ideal. If you drink a cup of coffee before you lay down, as soon as you wake up, it will have activated in your system. It will change your freaking life. Um, hmm. Daniel Pink mm -hmm. wrote a book. Oh, gosh. I think it's called Time. But just look up Daniel Pink. We'll link it in the book, description. The book changed below. my life. It changed my life. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> talk about your book. I don't know if your husband snuck in a copy. A God, long get... time ago. Wow. Marketing geniuses you guys are. Got a copy of your own book. Our All Very Special Garden. Yeah? It is the Root Family's Very Special Garden. And that root families piece is important because that is uh, loosely based on our family and they have a, another book coming soon. And so we are trying to turn them into the Berenstein bears of cannabis. 
<laughs> is it Berenstain or Berenstein? I don't know. It's Me been two vowels go walking. The first one does the talking. <laughs> Oh, damn. I have not heard that since the 80s. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is true, though. Facts. They teach that. That's what you get for a master's in education. <laughs> you know the rules. <laughs> I know the rules. Uh, okay. Yeah, you do. Uh, I do not have kids, uh, and I watch in awe as my family and my friends raise theirs. There are so many conversations that I definitely do not have the tool set for. So I'm curious what your goal uh, was with writing this book. Um, it was to talk to everyone. Nobody's offended by a cartoon. Nobody. <laughs> you can say the nasty. Uh, I don't know. Char <laughs> Charlie Hebdo. Yeah. Charlie Hebdo okay. cartoon. Yeah. That was not good for, for that magazine. Every single time I Except say for that, that one. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> think of them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But even, I mean, even yeah, adult swim, like, you, for that. <laughs> you get to do like gross stuff on adult swim and cartoons. Right. And you get to totally. just like, Get away with stuff. And I'll say this, not that it's not gross, but it's not as jarring to the spirit because it's not an actual person with flesh you're seeing have this happen to. Of course. And so, I mean, I'm talking about obviously violent things, but same goes with any taboo subject. And so when you draw like a cannabis leaf, like a yeah. cartoon, you know, it's not so scary. It's disarming. It's disarming. I love that. Thank you. I'm stealing that language for my next interview. And <laughs> it's all yours. But it's, it's, it can be disarming and it's meant to be disarming. Like that's my goal that you can sit down and read this book with your 10 year old and your and your great aunt. There's vocab in it. It's a beautiful biracial family. There's smiles. They're growing next to their tomatoes and basil and uh, and melons and other things that are supporting it. So it's it's about teaching an ecosystem, not about talking about weed. And you're seeing the family in the book. It felt like the right thing to do. It felt like this is going to teach the next generation. And that's that's the new goal. You yeah. know, I would joke and say, like, when all the boomers go, we can finally get things together. But now my nope. son calls me a boomer. So I'm very confused yeah. by that. So... <laughs> He just thinks it means old person. He just thinks <laughs> it means old person. I know that. Um, but He's yeah, like, I'm an Xer. <laughs> Get it right. Yeah. I'm proud of that too. Are you very proud of that, Will, to be an Xer? Well, so oh, wait, no, I, you're not an Xer. No, I'm yeah. so I'm actually a nothing. If you like <laughs> Google the dates for when Generation X starts and uh millennials start, my birthday's in the middle. So I'm like neither. I relate to both, you know, I, yeah, I, totally. I'm born in 1980. So like, you're right. There. Been, yeah. I'm right there. Yeah, yeah. I'm right there. So, uh, I definitely saw Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I definitely <laughs> grew up listening to Nirvana. Um, but also maybe had a fidget spinner, you know, like, yeah. Okay. I feel you. Yeah. I feel you never. Yeah. Never, ever had the fidget spinner or, um, watch the, the power Rangers. So that's yeah, I did that too. That, <laughs> I was probably too old to be watching the Power Rangers at the time. I love it. That's I that's why that I'm, I'm okay, whispering but... into the mic like this. It's so funny. <laughs> All the things that we're talking about, though, like we will remember forever because they were a part of our childhood and yeah. how they shaped us. And what better way to change the future and normalize cannabis than to expose children to it in a safe and educational way? Totally. And I'm so... still influenced by the. Uh, 
the 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 two minute segments that would follow the GI Joe cartoons, which would always end in, and now you know, and knowing's half the battle. Yes, absolutely, right? <laughs> absolutely. And I'm like a reading rainbow kid, and so yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> so listen, I can fly me. twice as high. You can, <laughs> you definitely can. Um, uh, Lavar, what a, what a treasure. Um, what is the right way to talk to kids about cannabis now? Honestly, absolutely. Honestly. Um, first lie through your teeth. Got it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. First thing we have to do as parents is figure out why we're using it. Uh, number one thing I help parents deal with as they ask me, like, how do I talk to my kids about cannabis is dealing with their own personal shame. You know, if you're asking me that question, it's probably because you haven't yet. And there's a reason you've withheld despite your consumption. So what do you think is going to happen? That they're going to use it? They probably are because you use it. Like, what do you think is going to happen? That they're going to think it's bad? Well, if you're hiding it from them, you're telling them it's something to be ashamed of. Yep. So really making parents have to face themselves first and address their use and why they're using it. And then that's the message they take to their kids. They just tell them why. In the book, there's five rules. It's, you know, tell them it's a plant. <laughs> um, yeah. This is, I should, I should know this. I'm going to read to you what it says. It says, tell them it's a plant. <clears throat> tell them for now, it's only for adults. I tell them we still have a lot to learn about it, but that many brilliant doctors and scientists are studying it every day so that we can tell them to come to you first if they ever want to try it and then tell them that you love them. And it's that simple for me. In between there, there are all these nuances per family, right? Sure. Private and public conversations. We do that with our body parts, with our children. Um, a developmentally appropriate language. If they're learning about the circulatory system, good time to talk about the endocannabinoid system because they're not going to talk about it in their science class. If they're in the D.A.R.E. classroom and they're talking about drugs, good time to discuss what it is to be a drug and how cannabis has seeds and why that is different. Um, this book has highlighted vocab with the glossary in the back. Perfect time to get into looking up words and what they mean and pictures of things. So a lot of parents are like, well, I, can't, I don't want to tell them this. Well, you don't have to. They also can't go into the cabinet and just drink a gallon of milk. So there are mm. rules that you establish, but it's your own personal, whatever it is that you're projecting onto them. So you got to get a hold right. of that first. Got to get over the shame. Absolutely. Well, that's interesting. We're going to link... Uh... We're going to put a link to the book in the description of this and make sure that everybody gets a copy by it. Look how cute those illustrations are. So um, gorgeous. These adorable. characters were designed by a 16 year old man before I copy, copyright them. Yeah. They're, these are, <laughs> these are the, this is a root family. So that's look awesome. For them. Oh, well, forever what, and I, ever. <laughs> and you're working on the next book. <clears throat> I am. In the next book, we're going to tackle some other issues. So this one has no smoking in it. That was intentional. It was all about the gardening, the soil. And at the end of the book, mom makes tinctures. And so um, we're going to have Michael Root, who is my son, actually, who is the inspiration for the book, because uh, he's our little farmer. He um, He's going to go out and he's going to share some of mom's tinctures with the, with the community. And that's going to get him into a little bit of trouble. And so we're going to talk about some social issues in that process. Well, we're looking forward to it. And I can't wait to send a copy to my mom so she can figure out how to talk to me about cannabis <laughs> uh, at the age of 42. She's still a little unsure. 
Um, she will give me a lot of guff about smelling like weed, but then she'll text me articles from the New York Times about certain MSOs and how well they're doing. So we'll definitely I love give her, your mom. <laughs> we'll definitely send a copy to the elder Mrs. Reed. Miss Kindness Ramirez, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Mom, entrepreneur, author, always crushing it, always getting the hustle on. Thanks for taking the time and talking to us today. Tell the folks where they can learn more about you and everything you're up to. We'll make sure it's in the description too. This has been so much fun, Will. I want to thank you. Probably one of my funnest interviews. I've laughed oh, so much today and it's been pleasure. genuine. Um, I could just thank go you. all kinds of places with you. I see. I love it. Oh. I am easy to find by default because my name is Ms. Kindness. So it's as long true. as you <laughs> <laughs> you ought to be good. As long as you spell it correctly, that's M-S-K-I-N-D-N-E-S-S. You can find me at MsKindness.com. You can find me at ClubKindness.io. And again, if you just Google Ms. Kindness, you might find some stuff you don't care about. <laughs> I'm going to find you. So I think I, I'm, I care a lot about that. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us. This has been another episode of Common Sense Mia. I've been your host, Will Reed. Thanks for checking us out. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.